drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. I've got to say hello and welcome to Drive-By Cinema before Paul thinks his hotel internet has gone down once again and interrupts me. This is Season 3, Episode 3, and here's Paul from an Airbnb somewhere in the country. Live from the Penrith Tea Rooms. <laughs> uh, yes, I'm out in the country getting ready to do my Wainwright Hill walks. Maybe a bit of graphite pencil sketching. Who knows? The glorious outdoors await me. It's very good of you, Paul, to stop everything on your holiday and record drive-by cinema. I know. Well, I travel. I travel fancy, uh, fancy-free and, and light-footed, armed only with my small almanac of words with poems and uh, and a brownie camera. Off I trot into the fell land, maybe to be savaged by uh, an overexcited rat. <laughs> I didn't know you were a big fell walker, Paul. I'm not really. It was just a, a close destination and a cheap hotel, uh, and just not home. So uh, on those three levels, it was very attractive. Do you have a special hiking shirt? No, I brought my hiking. Well, I brought my sensible shoes though. I I had some sensible hiking boots one time. I didn't use them for a long time. And then more recently, point being that my boots fell apart during the walk, like the, <laughs> the soles fell off. It's it's quite. Um, if they were mothball, then that's quite likely, isn't it? Because the glue. I lost my yes. soul for walking in the countryside. They're not stitched soles; they're glued soles. You see, so. I thought it was quite symbolic to lose your soul, not in fact both of yeah. your souls. Yeah, well, I've got no tales to regale from the countryside. No, you've not stepped in any cowpats, or no, nor have I been followed by by dubious local poachers. The only thing I can say about the local flavour is one: it's very alpine. Uh, two, uh, it's uh, yeah. There's a big thing about pubs here having Jaeger bomb parties, so everything's Jaeger, Jaegermaster, Jaegermaster. Must be a Cumbrian thing. I don't know. Right, my internet's cutting out. But, so, shall we head on, Richard, and say, were there any corrections from last week? Did you actually research the Royal Air Force Typhoon and find out whether it was voice-activated in any of its controls or not? <laughs> it, ter- it turns out it turns out there possibly is some level of voice control in the modern lightning. But not as good as Google or Alexa. No, it can't be, can it? Because they have to fly around with all of the intelligence and database and pattern matching in a little computer in a bit of military hardware, as opposed to, you know, a giant True. internet megacorp with presumably thousands and thousands of hours of, uh, of audio to, to analyse. So it can't be anywhere near as good, can it? There we go. So the Royal Air Force can't beat Google. Google will take over the world, hopefully. I mean, it could be pretty good at launching missiles, couldn't it? Or putting landing gear. Well, yeah, gear I imagine there's only one word. There's only like one word to listen to, like launch, or two words, like launch missile. I mean, I don't suppose the voice recognition has to be very sophisticated to to recognise that, does it? You have to say it in a very clipped kind of English upper class accent, don't you? Chops away. <laughs> launch missiles. Chest out. Launch missiles. You. 
You be you. Do you. Yes, you're wonderful. I know what you mean. I know we're mostly a movie podcast, uh, but I did Uh point out three television series that are well worth watching at the moment. I don't know whether you've indulged in any of them. I guess if you've been hill walking, you probably haven't had the time. I was indulging the Greggs at a uh, motorway service station whilst I was indulging in looking at your message. So I did, by chance, I've actually seen one of those on Netflix itself. Oh, yeah, which one? I definitely... Just let me drag out your messages uh, live here. Wow, how exciting here, live dragging out messages. Uh, Sorry about this, everybody. Uh, The one... Sorry, let's just go through all our chit-chat. The one about... Red Rose, about people from Bolton. Oh, yes. You'd seen that one. I've heard about it. Ah, you've heard about it. Okay. It's on BBC, not not, uh, Netflix. Sorry about that. It's on BBC, that's right. Paul, you know, considering that you're wandering around the moors and stuff, you might find it especially relevant to you because they, <laughs> they do a bit of that, you know, around, around Bolton. Yeah, they go up the moors, or Belmont or wherever it is. So. I've already had several people speak to me like I'm just off the variety bus. <laughs> like, be careful up there. Don't stray away from the paths, you know. Well, what about that, that, that chap who was found him? They found him, didn't they? At the, the road, at the side of a path. Like, do you remember? Really? You know this story? This, this. In a suitcase. No, he wasn't in a suitcase. No, he was just an ordinary guy. Apparently, he'd walked up a popular hiking spot, sat down by the path, and just Had died. An I, well, we, they don't know. I don't know. It's a mystery, you know. They were trying to track Is down it? who he was and why he was there and why he just went up the path to die. I, I, and if he died on the path, we would have discovered him, and he still would be dead. Yeah. Okay. Just be careful, Paul. That's all we're saying, you know. <laughs> Just be careful, yes, okay. I've had this message three or four times today, thank you. Apart from Red Rose, I also recommended to you The Sandman and Paper Girls. Sandman on Netflix and Paper Girls on Amazon. And wow. they're all really good for slightly different reasons. But I think if you if you find yourself rained off, Paul, sitting in your in your little hotel there, you might want to you might have a have a look at some cheeky of these. thing. <laughs> I'm sure you've got decent wet weather gear, Paul. Yes. Are you ready to talk about this week's movie? We are. Uh, should we say what it is before the music or after? Hmm. Normally we wait until after the music, and I see no reason to break with a deeply held tradition. And that was the music, the movingly titled Title 6.wav from Paul Allen, composer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sorry. Come on. Roland Emmerich is the name I want to... Oh, crikey. Here we go. Before, can I just confess to all this? Before we started this podcast, I said, look, I've had a busy week and I haven't really... I'm not really on the ball with the background information on this movie. And Richard said, well, don't worry, I'll carry you. And now here he is throwing difficult, difficult names at me. I think this is the guy that directed and wrote this thing, isn't it? Yes. He's also the guy that directed and wrote the other disaster movie that we saw. <laughs> 2012? Was it 2012? I think it was, wasn't it? Yes, 2012. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah which made a lot of money, didn't it? And uh, I quite liked, did I say I quite liked the special effects on it? I think it did. 
Oh, yeah, the special effects were pretty good, weren't they? Listen, yeah. Roland Emmerich has one trick. It's a massive disaster movie where the characters just escape the nick of time, you know, or just, you know, avoid the collapsing thing when it's falling down. Yes. You know, it's the modern equivalent of where, like, Buster Keaton is standing there and the front of the building falls down and he's standing where the window was, you know, just... Well, it's the it's the direct descendant, you know. It's just it's just very cinematic technique, isn't it? You know. So, Paul, listen. If I were to ask you for the idea, the plot, the the germination of a disaster <laughs> movie, what would be the biggest disaster you can imagine? <sighs> well, maybe like the moon falling to Earth. The moon falling like to Earth. It would be yeah. devastating. I mean, it would be devastating. The moon is like one point two percent of the mass of the Earth. It's, yeah, and it's gigantic compared to say, like the object that killed off all of the dinosaurs. I think it's a bit more than that, Richard. I think it's a bit more, isn't it? Great question, Paul. Why do you think the the moon is bigger than that? Okay, well, it's the gravity is one six, one six, famously so, and the yeah. gravity is on an R squared sphere. Yeah, yeah. So that the volume of the sphere, yeah. sorry, the surface area of the sphere is constant, basically. We, gravity is a constant kind of sphere that just spills out, yeah? Mm-hmm. So if that's one six, oh, God, what does that mean? <laughs> then it means the radius is, oh. No. Oh, no, you've got me now. No, I can't listen, your logic is impeccable, but the maths takes a little bit of working out. And it does. I, I, I checked these figures because I was puzzling the same thing myself. But yeah, the 1 over R squared rule dominates, and so the fact that the moon is considerably smaller than the Earth means yeah. that when you're on the surface, the gravity is one-sixth, despite the fact the moon is between 1% and 2% of the mass of the Earth. I see. Right, okay. So, yeah, so the moon falling to Earth would be like, or the Earth falling to the moon, depending on what frame we want to see this in, very <laughs> weird frame, uh, is, yeah, it would be, I mean, just more than catastrophic, wouldn't it? It would be just unfathomably, I mean, it would be total, total chaos. And so that would make a great disaster movie, but non, not one in which you'd imagine there were Buster Keaton moves where you could bust out of it. I mean, if the moon's going to hit the Earth, I don't really see how you're going to escape that. It would be dogastrophic, let alone catastrophic. It would be cats and dogs living together. It would be the end. I mean, after all, consider the moment of the moon's creation. Yes. A chip off the old block, sheared from the Earth in an enormous impact that sent it spinning off and orbiting the Earth. Mm-hmm. Listen, Paul, the name of this film is Moonfall. And Moonfall, yeah. As we said last time, yeah. kind of puts exactly what it is on the tin, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's not really holding back or, 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 or indulging in Eastern esotericism about what it's about. It, it's plainly about the moon falling to Earth, yeah. But if I might, and this might come across as pernickety, nitpicky or something, this is the same kind of argument that people make when they say that, you know, a tomato isn't a vegetable, it's a fruit, or an apple isn't really fruit, it's something else. 
Yeah, and no true Scotsman can no argument. Yeah. The moon is already falling and always has been. But yeah. Newton's essential observation about gravitation is he looks at the moon and realises that in exactly the same way that an apple falls off a tree or, you know, you throw a stone and it comes back down to Earth, the moon is also falling in exactly, using exactly the same laws of motion as the apple. It's falling. It just so yes. happens that it's moving to the side at exactly the right speed that by the time it's fallen to Earth, it's moved exactly around the side of the Earth. That's right, yeah. And intriguingly, uh, I don't think... It's only the speed that matters, not the size of the object, because, of course, the gravitational force is proportional to the mass. So it's literally the speed that the object is moving in that elliptical orbit relative to the distance described from the other, the other mass by that elliptical orbit. So if the Earth was moving around the Earth at the same speed as a moon in the same orbit, it would also get trapped, wouldn't it? I think, is what I'm trying yeah, to say here. Yeah, that's right. Well, it's like geostationary satellites. Well, well, people, They're all at roughly... Yeah, but people, see, people seem to think like, okay, if it's a bigger mass, it needs to go faster around. Well, no, because the, geograph the gravitational force of attraction is proportional to the mass, and therefore gravity, or the rate of acceleration, is constant to any mass. Yeah, so that's all I'm trying to say. It's badly. So, the, the moon is already falling, so the whole... The whole idea of the name of this movie is a failure. <laughs> yeah, I, but, but I mean, there's a whole idea of celestial objects, to, well, as we later find out in the movie, being fixed in the ferment, almost by the hand of God or a higher power, you see. So we can see how, how this idea of the moon falling out of what it should be doing, because it, it turns out it has a very definite purpose uh, orbiting this. Uh, I could see how, in the minds of the people that wrote this, they would see the moon as falling. Now, this stars Patrick Wilson and Halle Berry. Patrick Wilson we've seen before in another movie we have reviewed, if you recall. Do you remember which one it was? Oh, no. Oh, God, he's really throwing it up me tonight. He was in The Conjuring, the really? crappy haunted house movie. He played the, uh, hus you know, the husband of the husband and wife ghostbusting team with the Slightly creepy doll in the right basement. Now. He did not. Wow. <laughs> now, in this film, he's an astronaut, or he starts, he starts the film as an astronaut, as does Halle Berry. Now, Halle Berry, of course, needs no introduction. So don't, then. <laughs> but have you ever seen anybody so bored acting in a movie? Yeah, she does look as though she's doing this strictly for the money. <laughs> yes, definitely. They are... They are on an astronauty kind of mission. Are they on Discovery or the Challenger? They're on a shuttle, aren't they? Yeah, on one of the shuttles. Yeah, on on a on a space shuttle. Am I right in thinking that? But they get, whilst they're on a spacewalk, they get hit by a cloud of black dust. Yeah, yeah, they like get hit by a cloud of what's obviously quite intelligent dust. Like, obviously, if if carbon fiber were dust, but it was all connected, it moved. As a swarm, this dust, yeah. So, so there we go. Patrick Wilson's character gets the lyrics it's of the one hero. of Halle Berry's character's songs wrong, doesn't it? She has a, he has a Mondegreen. Toto, Africa. Um, about Toto, Africa, yeah. He thinks it's missed the rains. I miss the rains. Down in Africa. 
Whereas yeah. Halle Berry points out that it's, I blessed the rains down in Africa. Now, this is a comic moment, wasn't it? Because she says, I should know because I sang it for karaoke for my wedding. And they're laughing. Ha ha ha. And then, of course, they get hit by a weird alien cloud of black charcoal. Yeah, because it's always in these unguarded moments of levity that disasters always hit, don't they? These natural disasters always seem to know uh, exactly the worst moment to strike the unsuspecting human protagonists. Uh, the third leg in their space expedition, of course, gets wiped out. Uh, and then we fade to black to several months or years later where, where, he's, where, where Patrick's character has been sacked unsummarily from, from NASA and his, his, his duties and having been made liable via negligence for whatever happened up there. Because, of course, ground control don't seem to know or don't seem to let on that they know what's been going on up there. And they, they don't believe his story. They won't accept his story of weird, like, space moon dust. Despite the fact that he managed to land the shuttle, despite the outage of all onboard electronics, so they say. <laughs> and fuel. Well, that's okay. I, oh, mm. Yeah, the, the, the shuttle has to do a de-orbit burn. Later becomes critical, the skill to fly but things without I don't think you can fly the shuttle without electronics because, like, unlike a lot of uh, earlier planes, I don't think there are wires from the joystick leading to the flight surfaces. I think it's all electrically operated. You know, you move the stick like a computer. No. And yeah. it sends a signal. Yeah, they didn't get Wallace and Gromit into building it. There. No, no. <laughs> it's ten years later, and... His son is obsessively watching the news footage of the debrief that his dad was in. I don't know why. Uh, and he's moving out of his home. I think, is he getting divorced or something? I They're getting separated, out. yeah? Yeah. Getting divorced, yeah. Roland Emmerich presumably has been on the receiving end of some bad divorces because there's always a divorcing couple isn't there in his films his hero he's always on but the wait end wait of a bad in this divorce. one there's two Halle Berry <laughs> yeah. has been divorced twice it seems so there's three divorces and her second husband well, it was the same in 2012 wasn't it John happens. Cusack was <laughs> John Cusack he was in a, in a divorce wait, wasn't he in, in 2012 wait a minute now Halle Berry is like deputy head of NASA or acting deputy vice head of NASA or something and her ex-husband by this time to be yeah. like the by this time, which is like seven years later, uh, her ex-husband is like the leading general in the army. Like he's Mister Big. So, so yeah. I mean, as luck would have it, but they're getting divorced, and they've got a cute kid who's not happy about it. But all of this doesn't matter because we're about to meet the main sort of comic relief of the movie, who's a guy called Casey Houseman. Yes. Who right. appears to okay. be an English I've bloke, so many played by this. John Bradley. But stop. I'm really. Stop. Okay. Stop right now. Is the actor English or not? He is, yes. But the right. character was going to be American, but they decided that his native British accent was more charming and, you know. Right. Okay. Could I just ask why his mother, is who, who he cares for and visits him in a home, is speaks with a broad American accent? Good question. Well, maybe... Maybe he was sent over to the UK at an early age to go to boarding school or something. I don't know. 
She's not. Very, she's not in a very nice nursing home, is she? No, true. Yeah. I mean, there was one thing so about how, how Americans write English people in uh, into 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 scripts. Is there's one section. He's not supposed to be English. He's he, he's he's supposed to be an American oh, character. You're joking. Yeah. No. Exactly. Why does he speak with an English accent? Because then? it was just decided that it, it read better, you know, on the screen. They preferred it. That is... Maybe weird. they preferred it to John Bradley uh, doing no, an no, American no, 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 accent. No, wait a minute. He says, and when we were back in Hull, and we would just sit on the dock of the bay, <laughs> looking at the stars. <laughs> at that point, I thought, wait a minute. Like, nobody They've never been to Hull, sits right? on the dock of the bay. <laughs> Looking at the stars. I don't to know. NASA. Maybe they do. Just Paul. what was going on? Maybe here? they do. No. Like sex education, I think you know we've got to, we've got to an era where people just do not care about things scanning in terms of perceived realities anymore. Yeah. Casey Houseman, this character, he works as a janitor in a university, but he pretends to be an astronomer. A bit like Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. Ah, I see. And he's sort of yeah. stealing readings off the computers, the computer printouts, isn't he? And he discovers that the moon's orbit has shifted and the orbital radius is decreasing. <laughs> the orbital radius is decreasing. Now, that's strange because we therefore get, we therefore get movement like an ellipse. If it's de- decreased, it would speed up, head towards the Earth, and then overshoot the Earth. And we'd stop yeah. having a fairly circular or nearly circular elliptical orbit, and we'd get quite an elongated ellipse. But that's not seems what what's happening here. The moon just seems to be getting closer and closer to Earth. Therefore, we have to assume that it's slowing down in physics terms, but maybe not. Maybe that's not. right. And consider how much you'd have to slow down the moon, and consider what it would take <laughs> to slow down the moon. <laughs> I mean, it's just un- ungodly yeah. quantities of energy would be required. What kind of name would you give somebody who has uh, somewhat outlandish sci- science-based beliefs? We can't call them a quack. There is a word for it, isn't there? Yes, it's conspiracy theorist, Paul. Because yeah, but Casey Houseman words. doesn't just recognise... He doesn't just recognise that the moon is changing orbit. He also firmly believes that the moon is manufactured <laughs> and hollow. With, as far as I can see, absolutely no supporting evidence of this. <laughs> now, this is interesting. A, a bit like... Because if it is hollow... Wait a minute. If it is hollow, then yeah. one of the main suppositions of the movie, which is the Roche limit, <laughs> would, if it is hollow and quite yes. light, then all the kind of things that we see in the movie later on Small children being lifted off the Earth by the power of the moon's <laughs> gravity, for example. Yeah. If the moon yeah. was much lighter and hollow than it was, we wouldn't we wouldn't see those things. And actually, in reality, we wouldn't see those things anyway, because the moon being next to that child would only reduce his gravitational weight by one sixth. In any case. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So th- there were some weird things going on there. There was some really well, weird. Well, I'm glad going. you are highlighting the the major scientific issue. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well let's 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 stay where we are in the movie. Yeah. Okay. So problems, problems accepting, and you know I'm quite happy to have soft science fiction, but I mean I think anybody would have problems accepting that the moon is like slowly 
it's slowed down enough to go off its orbit, and then he's like heading towards the Earth exactly for what seems to be a collision course, you know. I mean, it's going to overshoot, isn't it? And then come back and then maybe hit the Earth. But no, no, it's heading straight well, for the Earth. Really you know, the thing is... Uh, and everybody finds out because Casey, or Casey's character, leaks everything on Twitter, doesn't he? He does, yes. They were trying to... NASA and the government types were trying to hush it up, weren't they, until they'd figured out what the heck was going on. Pro- probably understandably, right? But mm. Casey just out and out releases the information. One, the one thing that this movie gets right scientifically, may I say, Paul, if I can make a minor defence of it, is Go on. the moon hitting the Earth would indeed be a disaster. You know, it would wipe everything out. You know, the, the Earth would be shattered into a billion pieces, yeah. presumably. But the real problem with the moon getting closer and closer in the way that they describe is not hitting the Earth. It's just the extraordinary effects it would have on, like, the tides and probably, you know, the, the crust of the Earth as well would cause earthquakes, wouldn't it? And they do depict that. that there are enormous tides that I think what someone even calls them gravity waves, which is a bit of a misuse of the word, really. It's Gravity waves have tended to come to mean waves in the gravitational field that we can detect with mm-hmm. large-scale interferometry, not, not just water waves that are just like tidal waves. But nonetheless, they're bigger because the, uh, the moon is nearer. You know, and as we've described, the one over R squared limit does dominate. So, you know, you'd you would see really really big tides, wouldn't you? Well, they 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 get all those things right. Okay, those basic things. Okay, and we see a huge tidal wave. Now, water would move towards move. the moon. Okay, and it's not about lifting the water off the Earth, because the water itself would support itself as a fluid. Yeah. Sure. But at the same time as we've got these huge 400, 400, 500 metre waves, we've got children being lifted off the Earth. <laughs> now, this is the weird thing. As we said, okay, bodies experience an acceleration due to gravity that's proportional to their mass. So if the child's going to be lifted off the Earth, the adults that are clinging onto him and pulling him down would also be lifted off the Earth too. <laughs> We don't see that. We see the lighter object being lifted off. And there's no wind doing this. And there's no water, you know, pushing him up there. So I thought that was quite strange to have that accurate thing about the huge tidal waves that are not limited to, you know, the water isn't limited to being able to jump away or, you know, to, to, to reach some, you know, zero gravity situation. Uh, whereas, you know, child masses are adult masses. You have to be in zero gravity to sort of lift off the Earth, okay? Water doesn't, because water supports itself as a fluid, you know? So it's interesting to see those two things, you know, right and completely wrong, juxtaposed in the same shot. So well done there. They say that the Moon is has got three elliptical orbits before it reaches the rush limit, <laughs> which we have discussed in detail before uh, when we talked about the wandering Earth. The rush limit is the point at which two bodies are close enough together and held together only by their gravity, would disintegrate. Yes. Now, the moon, yes. to my knowledge, isn't molten, it's cold at its core, and it isn't held together by gravity, it's solid rock. Well, no, it's not in this movie, but they, they were discussing the Russian limit before they knew that the moon was an artificial superstructure. Okay. Now, Earth would split <laughs> apart because we're molten inside, you know. The middle of the Earth is only held together not as a solid, but as a molten mass held together by its own gravity. But I don't think the moon would necessarily, would it? Because it's not as simple as the rush limit 
which is a theoretical limit when gravity is the only binding force. I mean, there's huge amounts of rock that just holds itself together there, isn't it? It's not just dust, the moon, is it? Yeah, but there's... Uh... But still, know. there's a load of uh, like loose rocks and dust on, on the surface of the moon as well. Yeah, so. sure, sure. I mean, maybe 20 or 30% of it, yeah, absolutely. 20 or 30% of it would just, just rake off as dust, as loose rock. Absolutely, yeah, you're right. So, yeah, it would be disastrous. But three elliptical orbits. I mean, the moon takes like uh, 28 days, doesn't it, to orbit? So they're talking about three months before the moon crashes. Yeah, well, it's a good job having discussed the rush limit and saying that there is some legitimacy to what they're saying. It's a good job the moon isn't the moon. It's actually a, a hollow superstructure for, for the sake of the kids who are about to be destroyed by it. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> even though it's not a gigantic moon, although the rush limit stops being a relevant factor halfway through the movie, the fact that the moon can reverse gravity at the Earth's surface is still relevant. So are we assuming that it's made of super, super dense material? Oh, yes, we are. They've got. They do some calculation where they work out the moon isn't the mass that it's supposed to be, and that was Hokum. That's right. So, yes, it is Hokum. So KC establishes. How do they, what do they do? The this is quite what, later. What do they quite do? Quite a bit later on, he 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 does some calculations. He figures out well the the moon's mass has changed. The moon's mass has changed. Of course, I mean yeah. it's easy to say, isn't it? It's easy to write down in a script. Though? It's a little bit harder to find. Any physical justification for that. But what he explains <laughs> is, of course, the moon is a, a megastructure built by an ancient alien civilization. It's a hollow shell That's right, yeah. surrounding, I suppose, sort of disguising, you like, if you like. It's a Dyson sphere, actually, around a white dwarf. Now, a white dwarf is a dead star made of very, very dense material. Now, it's, it's not neutron matter. It's not, no. I mean, the sun is what, a yellow dwarf? Although it doesn't actually give out yellow light, does it? So we're quite a small star, the sun, aren't we? But a white dwarf is essentially a dead star, isn't it, really? It's a collapsed star, yeah. And it is radiating, but it's only radiating it's, residual it's post, heat. Is it post-red giants, typically? Is that right? Am I right to say that? It's post-red giants, I don't know. That's plausible. I think it is, yeah. But the idea is that I suppose this alien civilization is using this cooling... White dwarf star because they're just cooling down. I guess they'll cool down for millions of years. But it's it. In fact, I think white dwarfs give an upper bound to the age of the universe because when you see a white dwarf, you can figure out you know the maximum age that stuff could have been because they're not uh, fusing anymore. So all of the energy must have come from before they became a white dwarf. So they're just a cooling sort of lump from I that point It still doesn't explain how the mass of the moon increases, of course. But it could be the case that it's very, very dense. So I suppose if you got close enough to it, you could overcome the rush limit of kids on Earth. <laughs> but as you say, you'd also be <laughs> overcoming the rush limit for the adults as well. What NASA decide to do, and this is interesting, we've seen this technique before, they think the best thing to do is to send astronauts straight up to the moon to the Mare Crisium, which is a crater where they've seen something they call outgassing. Of course, we and uh, Patrick Wilson really know that it's that black dust We're coming out of the there. Fact, yeah. So, very quickly, very quickly, they managed to get astronauts to the moon. 
and they send they a little do. probe down this hole. But it, it doesn't come back. And then I think black. I think moon snakes made of black dust come out of the hole. And I think they maybe kill all the astronauts. Is that is that what happens? They do. Yes, that's yeah. definitely what. Happens. But this time it's on camera, and there's no. There's no putting it in the vault, you know. There's no hiding what's happened from Halle Berry or anybody else. Pretty much everybody in the control room. Except that's exactly parted, what they do. It's part of the fact that that <laughs> the astronauts have had their eyes eaten out by black alien popping popping candy. <laughs> Can I ask you a question, though, Paul? Yeah. Go on. Why did they send astronauts? Why not just send a ship? To drop the probe in the hole with no astronauts on board. It's about good old gun gunfire, uh, isn't it? Like in case something went wrong. Good old fashioned. I don't know. They load the cannons. Good old fashioned. Drop the probe. In control. Swab the decks. <laughs> <laughs> Get the veterans up there. They can fight off the the moon snakes. Yeah. Anyway, this is all happening as you know. Every, everything turns to looting mush across the world. Societies break down and uh, people are fleeing the cities for the hills quite sensibly because, like, pretty much the tides are going to take over the world. Because of the tidal waves. That's right. Even the hotel where the conspiracy theorist conference is happening gets flooded, doesn't it? And our hero, KC, nearly drowns, but he's rescued by Harper, who is uh, Patrick Wilson's astronaut character. Now, KC had a lot of humorous lines in this movie. He did he? Do you know any? Yeah, I can't quite remember, but there was one funny bit. I mean, he was the comic his, relief. At his, at the first Crackpot Anonymous sort of meeting, yeah, he's talking about his wonderful theory about the moon, and then one of his compatriots stands up and says, I know who did it. And they said, who? And they said, he said, Oswald. Yeah, which was a joke about conspiracy theorists <laughs> and uh, JFK, you see. So there were some funny things Hilarious. like that. Yep. Pepper through the movie. Thank goodness. Uh, and I, I, do you know, I, I noted them down because I wanted to point out the three funny things that happened, uh, but I've left them away from my hotel room, so I can't, I can't share them with you. I'm sorry about that. We had uh, an amazing Donald Sutherland cameo. I like Donald Sutherland. On, on, on the movie, he received pretty high billing, considering he's only in it for one scene of about two minutes. He's only there for three minutes. Yeah. And he just reprises his job in some of the movies where he plays Mr. X. Yeah, he's basically the whistleblower, isn't he? He is working in the archives, and he shows Halle Berry the the suppressed footage. It's been a cover-up. And Halle Berry has a couple of interesting lines herself, one which you might like, Paul. At one point she says, the sand in the hourglass is falling fast. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which is odd because That's wonderful. if they're experiencing if they're experiencing more gravity from the moon, it would be slower, wouldn't yes. it? If the moon's above it would be them. slower indeed, yeah. It would, be, yeah. it would be slower. Absolutely. At some point they determine, and I don't really know how they determine this, that if they destroy something, <laughs> the the moon snakes, I don't know, the neutron star, but if they destroy something the moon will go back to its original orbit. <laughs> this is right, okay. So essentially what this is, is this is like, this is like, you know, heading down the gully to destroy the Death Star, isn't it, basically. 
<laughs> yeah, except not as exciting yeah, and it is. not as well imagined. But instead of destroying it, it won't be destroyed. It will return to its original orbit, which is just, just so, so weird and unfathomable. I thought that was the most unfathomable moment of all the COD signs that happened here. Just unfathomable. But entertainingly so. I, I was really amused by just how they just didn't care about getting anything right in this movie. It's just like, oh, just write this shit. Who cares? Well, of course, because they use the term destroy, the military decide that they're going to nuke something. But they're all going, oh, don't nuke it, you know, global fallout. <laughs> I'm not sure what a nuclear weapon would do against the moon. I mean, it would make a, obviously it would make a bang, but it's not going to hurt the moon or divert it in any way. <laughs> also, Halle Berry is, and, and I think the Harpers are sending their kids to Colorado as if Colorado is somehow super safe from the moon falling on us. And, I mean, I've got bad news for you if you live in Colorado, but I don't, I don't think that would protect you. Where, no, where would you go if the, if the moon was falling on us, Paul? I'd, I'd probably seek refuge underwater. If you've ever been surfing, you know that it's uh, better yeah. to go under a wave than be hit by a wave. <laughs> okay, right. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, when thinking. the biggest waves are passing... When the biggest waves are passing, you're under, you, you, you know, you're on a surfboard with your leg tied to surfboard, and they're passing over you. Actually, the movement down there isn't very much at all. It's it's much more about the the disturbances on the surface and how they interact. That you know, the foam, and the backwash that makes that makes the swell dangerous. But underneath the toe isn't that significant, even for a big like ten foot wave. So I think the safest thing would be to have like a cool submarine and just 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 you know. Just sweat it out down there in a small submarine, maybe with Elon Musk, uh, and see how it went. Do you feel the pressure change when you're underneath a wave? Oh, definitely, yeah. Or is that yeah. crazy talk? You, no, 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 you Ooh. definitely feel the pressure change. There is a pressure change, yeah. I don't know how, because... Well, it's the height of water above you, isn't it? It's GH. But I imagine when, when the water's falling on the water, it compresses the water too. Water isn't compressible, though, is it? Or is it? No, it's not. No, no, it's not compressible. It's very, not, not really. Yeah. It's all, not really now. No. Which is why explosions underwater are very dangerous for anyone swimming nearby because it obviously very efficiently transfers the pressure oh. change. But not firing bullets. You're pretty safe from a bullet, even four foot away. Okay, well, let's not put that to the test, shall we? Please don't take ballistics advice. Wait from a minute, podcast. though. Tell me this one. Tell me this one. Tell if you. somebody drops an electric fire on the other at the other end of a swimming pool, are you going to get electrocuted or not? No, I don't think so because it would le- it would it would leak away to it would leak away to Earth too far away. You, if you exactly, yeah, exactly. But how close is too close? That's right. the question, isn't it? Well, apparently a bath is close enough. A yeah. bath is far too close. Yeah, yeah. It should become obvious by now that the only person who's going to be able to stop the moon is disgraced former (laughs) astronaut Harper, played by Patrick Wilson. And the only way he's going to be able to do it is by using one of those old shuttles, which are now all in museums. Without any electronics. Because you know what they figured out? They figured out this alien space popper dust, right? It only attacks things that it it recognises being biologically human, surrounded by electronics. 
if you take away the electronics or take away the human, it no longer sees you as a target. They have a special weapon. The ZX-7 is a prototype EMP device. If they can get that to the moon and use it to disrupt the enemy, then they might be able to win. Except, here's the thing. The nuclear bombs that the military wanted to detonate would themselves produce an extraordinary EMP blast when they went off. And detonating those nukes high in the stratosphere where the moon might be would be far too high to generate any any fallout, really. Or, you know, certainly it'd be no worse than the moon falling on you. So it seems like that would have been a perfectly sensible option. But still, there we go. No, better to send Patrick Wilson in a, a, an antiquated shuttlecraft that hasn't flown, and presumably the engines don't work properly. You know, shuttlecraft engines, I think, may, it may not still be true, but I think at the time were the most complicated objects human beings ever made. Whoa. They're very powerful rocket engines and they're throttleable. You know, the boosters that are strapped on the side of the, the shuttle when it goes up, those are solid rocket boosters. They're basically like the blue touch paper. You can't turn them off. Once they're ignited, they just burn and they go, right? But the shuttle engines are yeah. throttleable. There's a lever, you know, you can control it inside the shuttle. So they're incredibly wow. complicated pieces of kit. So imagine one of those sitting in a museum. <laughs> yeah. And, and they requisition it, don't they? they? They quickly get it to launch site and decide to launch an old Discovery or Voyager or whichever one it is. Now, problem, Richard. Only two of the engines problem. work on the burners. Is that right? Yeah? Well, no wonder they're the most complicated objects ever made, Paul. Casey comes over and says, it. "Don't worry. Guess what? In the next ten minutes, the moon is going to be directly overhead, and and because of that, <laughs> you know, the gravity that the shuttle will feel due to Earth is going to be highly, highly reduced, and you will you will reach escape velocity. That's these are the words he says. You will reach escape velocity to happily exit." The Earth. Now, does he mean escape velocity at the surface of the Earth? Because last time I checked, that was 17,000 kilometres a second. Well. Or does he mean escape velocity at the peak of our atmosphere? Oh, well, he's completely wrong, that isn't he? Or does he mean escape velocity at the peak of our atmosphere? Or, you know, the thin part of our atmosphere, atmosphere, which is about 2,000 miles per hour. Because they ain't Hmm, got that far. Good question. I mean, they're they're at the surface of the Earth when 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 the uh, when the engines pack in, yeah, okay. Uh, so they're not at seventeen thousand kilometers per second, are they? Because their faces would melt. Let's put it that way. And what they've forgotten, I think, is there'll be an enormously huge tidal wave right underneath the moon when the moon's really close. <laughs> But there was, wasn't they? They, they almost put their engines up because they got subsumed by That's by right. water. Yeah. And somehow it came through. And then, about five seconds later, they became gravityless. They became weightless, didn't they? Because the moon was directly above. And we saw how much more powerful the moon's gravity was than the Earth. Well, they must be hitting the Lagrange point. <laughs> but they were only like 10 metres above the Earth at this point. Yeah. So how is the moon... Go- I mean, yeah. the moon must be super, super dense as a megastructure there. And as a hollow megastructure, that must be really, really dense material to make it heavier than the Earth and reverse, you know, our gravity polarity. So and I, I just used the word Lagrange point. What is, a, what is a Lagrange point, Paul? 
question. I don't know. Don't do this to me. You're going to mention Fourier transforms next. I've, I've, I have a deal with my psychiatrist. You could, my, my, my therapist only ever mentioned three aspects of my university physics course in any one evening. You're already three in, Richard. I can't deal with it anymore. Go on. Lagrange points. Tell us what they are. Remind me, please. Well, there are points in space where, because of the overlapping fields of two gravitational bodies, objects in that Lagrange point just tend to stay in place. It's kind of a sort of stable, more yes. metastable state. So there's one called L1, which is between the Earth and the Moon. That would only happen if if the shuttle was something like one over root six nearer to the centre of the Moon than it was to the Earth, assuming that gravity on the Moon was gravity on the Moon. Does that make sense? So there's another bit of a calculation that happens much later on in this movie, where they, where because they've not taken electronic electronics up to the moon, they have to shift their orbit and head towards the moon. We'll get there eventually, but I thought I'd point it out at this point in terms of mathematical calculations. And they say, hey, Casey, you know, you're great at these calculations. He's like, no, no, I can't do it. They're like, come on, step up to the plate, do the calculations. And then we see him do his calculation on the piece of paper, and that is uh, acceleration equals change in velocity over time. <laughs> And he, you know, he just uses simple non-integral means of of, of changing the <laughs> orbit and getting it right and heading into the hole in the moon. Anyway, sorry, Richard, we're taking off. We're going to save the Earth from the moon. So the Earth, sorry, the moon pulls the shuttle out of out of the, the, the out of the grasp of the Earth's gravitational pull, and and yeah, they're headed for the they're headed for. For the moon? Am I right? But the moon's right next door to them, so they haven't got very far to go. Ah, and at this point, real disaster is happening. Things are falling off the Earth because of the moon, and rocks are falling <laughs> off the moon because of the Earth. <laughs> and I don't think both of those things can be true at the yeah. same time, really, can they? I don't think they can. Um, you know, yeah. one of those places, the gravity is going to be stronger, isn't it? Yes. It's all a bit confusing. Where is the uh, centre of gra- gravity of these two systems at this point? We don't know because we're not sure how heavy the fucking moon is, let's be honest about it. <laughs> Patrick Wilson takes the shuttle and the EMP bomb over the hole, uh, but the moon snakes come out because they don't like electronics, and they realise Casey yes. still gets his cell phone. Electronics. For some reason, the Halle Berry Death and Patrick Casey. Wilson decide to, they decide to... They took Casey with, him, with them, didn't they? Give him his dream of becoming. Yeah, an they actor. needed him for a reason. Even though he's a janitor. Oh, but they all needed somebody to plot the flight path. Oh yeah, that's right. Without calculus, yeah, he's a janitor who's <laughs> good at you know high school physics. Meanwhile, back on Earth, Sonny, who is his it's Harper's son, who got in trouble earlier, uh, he's trying to is he helping Halle Berry's kids? Something he finds his stepdad anyway. There's some kind of atmospheric disruption warning. So they go to the fire station to get breathing apparatus. While in the moon, Patrick Wilson Harper flies the shuttlecraft to the centre of the hollow moon. And it's like uh, wheels or rings, like a stabiliser for the moon, if you like. Yeah, it's like a giant uh, tag hua watch inside, inside the moon. Yes, <laughs> an expensive watch. <laughs> Uh, anyway, he gets attacked by the moon snake, and 
the lander crashes, <laughs> and they all pass out. They all pass out with low O2, and yeah. we now get what I'm going to describe as the 2001 sort of sequence. Yes, I quite like this. It was quite well shot. It was a complete copy of 2001, though. So it's an explanation of why the moon was manufactured and who made it. And it's some kind of mechanism by which... Uh, were they, are they saved or do they die and their memories are reconstructed or ah. do they get put back in... So this, this advanced alien race, they're, actually, they're wiped out, okay? But they codify their memories and their genetic sequence and they look to respawn and a suitable planet, which is Earth. And so they dock the megastructure satellite moon, which is actually a carrier for their, you know, for their, for their cultural semantics, uh, encoded cultural their semantics. Wisdom. And we are their, we are their creation kind of thing, I think is the idea. It's a panspermia idea, isn't it? Vaguely. Which is the, you know, yes. the, the Fred Hoyle type idea that uh, life formed outside the Earth somewhere intergalactically or interstellar space or something and gets spread to planets by some mechanism and seeds the planets and not a horrifying form of cuisine. Now, there's all kinds of, uh, there's all kinds of Thunderdome kind of uh, Mad Max sort of cyberpunk uh, scavenging going on on Earth and uh, our, you know, our heroes' families kind of get involved in this uh, somebody wants their oxygen, uh, and so they're held at gunpoint, and there's a massive chase for it, and there's some really incredible, and when I say incredible, I mean incredible scenes where the <laughs> the baddies chasing them are taken out by giant moon rocks, and oh, it's just far too convenient, <laughs> far too Harold Lloyd, you know, far too Buster Keaton. And yeah, but then like, what surprises me is, that, you know, before they get knocked out on the moon, our three heroes... Like cases like I was right all along about the moon being an artificial megastructure created by highly intelligent uh, beings. And like the other two are like, yeah, yeah, you were right. Like if I was a respected NASA scientist, the head of NASA, as it turns out, head of NASA, and I'd found out that some crackpot was right about the moon being a hollow megastructure, I wouldn't be like, yeah, you were right. Like I'd, I'd be having real <laughs> moments with myself, I think. I'd be questioning everything at that point. So anyway, I didn't well, find that very convincing. The fact they're like, "Oh yeah, yeah, you were right. Well done, Casey." But it's also it's unearned. Like he, he had no reason to believe it was a megastructure. There was no evidence for that whatsoever until you know bits of it started falling off and the moon started moving around at random <laughs> and black snakes came out of it. Of course, it has to be that Casey sacrifices himself to set off the EMP bomb while. Yeah. Patrick Wilson and Halle Berry escape, of course. And meanwhile, back down on Earth, Sonny Harper, that's Patrick Wilson's kid, uh, his stepdad sacrifices himself by giving his heir up for the kid, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah, have we said how they actually survive on the moon? They're rescued by... I mean, they're rescued because the megastructure recognises them as being nice humans, so he gives them oxygen to breathe? Is that what happens? I don't understand how they don't run out of oxygen. I'll level with you, know. you Paul. Is... I'll level what? with you, Paul. I, I didn't really pay attention. It was it was all a bit... Oh. It was nonsensical. <laughs> it, it wasn't entertaining. I think what happened was that there's a load of nanotech. These black snake things are like nanotech. I think they'd rebuilt like loads of copies of their spaceship 
I think. Right. No, the black nanotech is it invading? That's an invading intelligence. That's yeah, an but invading I think the good guys have nano. Yeah, yeah. The but oh. that's the, that's where AI has gone bad. But they have nanotech as well, so they can build anything. Oh, sorry, sorry. There's a whole AI substrate. There's a whole AI substrate theorizing here, isn't there? Which is AI has become too powerful and has recognized us humans as the enemy. And this is the black sort of space popping candy snake. That's the AI turn rogue. Maybe it's come from the moon or maybe it's just randomly arrived at the moon. We don't know really. Uh, But yeah, they're the baddies. The, The black snake, the black space snake is the baddie, but the megastructure isn't the baddie. The megastructure is the good guy. Okay. The yes. good guys. So the good guy gave them oxygen on the moon. The AI is not very smart, is it? It's just like, it acts no. like an animal, like a snake, just killing things. It's pretty dumb, really. Well, in Battleship, they, it was pretty dumb. Their, their visors are pretty dumb, too, Then the movie we watched last week. It's like, uh, things turn green if they weren't pointing guns at them. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of similar that. here. If the human imagine giving electro- imagine giving the American but, cops that that would be a revolution. <laughs> revolution. <laughs> but I mean, this is kind of like limited intelligence too, is it? Because if it, if it's a human without electronics, then you know their visors turn green and they kind of swim away snakily. You know, so quite easy to dupe, I'd imagine. <laughs> Well, they do dupe it. They switch off the electronics and they fire the bomb at it, don't they? And they destroy it and then they come back to Earth. But the amazing thing is they land just they land just exactly where their children are in Colorado. <laughs> Literally, like a mountain yeah, helicopter normal, yeah. right away. And again, that's it is normal, yeah. Of all the Earth, we're just gonna land in Colorado. Where our children happen to have fled to yeah, and of course, well, we know, everybody's okay. We know it's a safe place, the safe place to be. Lots yeah. of divorced parents. Lots of divorced parents. Uh, the general has a meaningful conversation with his cute kid, and uh, and uh, our lead astronaut has a meaningful conversation with his grown kid too, and it's all fabulous, and everything ends really well. Apart from you assume, you know, maybe the 150 million dead people on the Earth, which we don't, they don't really seem to care about. Every a moment is, is wasted morning i mean nobody's saying hey we survived but you know you know all those people you know, in the tidal wave exactly yeah. no we survived but you know what about you know 10 percent of the population that died in the tidal wave they don't really give that any thought whatsoever do they it's okay paul if you died you deserve to die because probably you didn't prep hard enough did you that was the reason precisely Right. I think well, we have to score this pile of shit. <laughs> yes, let's soldier on through this. Like, through my maybe terrible tipping my hand. <laughs> and, and, score, and score this. It, it, it's a hellishly complex plot. I hope we've sort of I hope we've really? highlighted some areas. <laughs> but moon falls. But it, it's not complex moon, in, the moon sense, in the sense of well-crafted. No. It's complex in the sense it's, it's, not it's a higgledy, higgledy messed up ball of nonsense. Yeah, okay. <laughs> So, shall we start off with the plot, Richard? Sure, there are a lot of moving parts, yeah. The plot. Okay. I, I think he started work on this during one of his previous movies. So keen to yeah. make it. Presumably it was 2012, because this was set starting in 2011. I mean, in our generation, okay, it was fun to explore conspiracy theories with the knowledge that they weren't true. So the idea that, you know, Melbourne Airport or, you know, Sydney Airport 
is actually Heathrow Airport, and you take off, and then the pilot sneakily adjusts adjusts the 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 plane by 0.1 of a degree every minute, and it's actually you just fly full circle. And amazingly, they've got it all partitioned off so you land in what seems to be a different country. You know, those kind of conspiracy theories are just wonderful. Yeah, I think the problem is when people start believing them. I don't know what the difference is between creatively thinking about something in a weird, wacky way and then believing it. But how does that happen? This has got nothing to do with what we're doing. We're scoring the plot. I'm sorry, continue. For the plot, then, which, as I say, I just got bored, and I didn't care of them flying around inside the moon, and I didn't much care for the exciting revelation about the the alien history and the panspermia stuff. So hmm, I've got to give it a four for the plot. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I have no problems with rush limits. I used to until Richard corrected me about them. But then we pick up rush limits and then drop them, and instead we have a hollow, empty ball for a moon. And that then, then why is why are rocks falling off it? And why why are those rocks so heavy if it's an empty ball that it's you know turning gravity upside down on the Earth? All that made no sense whatsoever. I've got to score it at two and a half. I'm sorry. Well, you seem to be doing more scientific accuracy there, Paul. But no matter. Let's talk about the acting. But no, it's relevant. I, I just didn't find it as... It wasn't worthwhile as a plot, you know, because it didn't make any sense. For acting, then. Okay, acting. Hallie wasn't great, was she? I'm going to give it a five. When they're putting in a day's work, aren't they? Yeah. It is a five. It's perfectly average. You can't blame them for the crappy plot, can you? But, yeah, I don't think they believe any more in it than we do. Some of the worst acting was done by uh, the male astronaut's grown-up kid. Uh, and there's an awful moment like where he's trying to be sincere. Uh, and Maybe it's the fluff lines that he was, he was fed. But, yeah, really hammy at points. I thought Hallie was really hammy at points. Like, she just wasn't trying at all. Okay. Moving on to Hard Science, Richard. What do you think about the Hard Science in this movie? Two. <laughs> I mean, I have to score two it a one. only. And I, I, only for the tidal stuff. The tides are fine, aren't they? The tides were very accurate. They would, the tides will get higher and higher and higher because the water can move on top of itself. Uh, but, I, you know, I, I, I defend my point about saying the plot wasn't scientifically believable so i had to score it down in plot but in terms of just general science i have to score it down to a one because they did no checking on this at all and that's unforgivable in 2022 all right so uh do we do special effects and action we certainly do yeah yeah the thing about this is it should have been a great special effects and action movie but i found all of it very boring i wasn't interested in it i didn't care yeah. I mean, some of the effects technically, some of the effects, you know, were technically quite impressive. These sort of swarming, intelligent carbon fibre kind of snake discs all fizzling and whizzling together was impressive. But really? It just likes. It's a lot, like so computation for it, yeah, I mean, a lot of computation for the black cloud effect. It was impressive, but it was all, it was all smoke and fury and no effect. You know, I mean, they could have done it in a much more simpler way. And I felt that a lot of the chase scenes were just so much noise, but so little suspense. And there were so many hackneyed moments of turnaround and, you know, convenient intervention that really detracted from anything the special effects could add. So although technically I think some of it was quite quite well mastered, quite accomplished for the artist, for the, you know, the actual graphic artist that put it together, 
in terms of its in terms of its effects, quite limited. And I'm going to have to score it really low. And I don't normally for SFX and VFX. I'm going to have to score it a five for this. Sorry. Don't apologise, Paul. I'm going to give it a four for its sheer bore. Whoa. And the, the climax of the movie, the third act, was really bad. <laughs> so I guess we have to come All to right, overall. So scores. overall. And it doesn't look like it's going to be good for Richard's sure end. I can't recommend it. No. So I'm going to give it... Hmm. A three or a four, somewhere around there. Three and a half. Right, okay. Uh, all I'll say is, you know, if you're in the mood to enjoy something that isn't enjoyably bad, i.e., you know, if you're in a really good mood, you might be able to find this enjoyably bad. But for most people, this is just going to be annoying. Okay, it's not oh. so bad it's good. It's so bad it remains bad. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, yeah. Yeah, so I'd like to score it higher because the effects were technically accomplished. Uh, but it's going to have to be a 3.5 for me. Sorry. Same. You copied me, Paul. Well, flattery is the best form of no, Did you? Sorry. imitation. Best form of flattery. Yeah. I didn't know you scored 3.5. Hey, Paul. What about next week then? Are you going to be back from your holiday? <sighs> I am, yes. I'm heading back to Civilization on Saturday. So, so all normal don't, service, don't, such as this, will be resumed. Don't give away your travel plans, Paul. You'll have people lying in wait. <laughs> people will be <laughs> on the mountain passes. They'll hang around this, the service the small, station waiting for you to go. The small go to Greg's. Brexit guerrilla troops, yes. <laughs> That's how I was shopping at Greg's to make myself look part of it all, you know. I'm guessing you don't have you don't have a list of films with you, so I'm going to have to give you options. Is that a fair assessment? Go on, fire away. Throw them at my head okay, like okay. a sponge at the village fair, like a wet sponge at the. I'll give you three fair. choices. One I keep suggesting, which yeah, is well. Jordan Peele's remake of Candyman. That's option Splat. one. Okay, a horror movie. Option two is. Christopher Nolan's space epic Interstellar, which might be an antidote to this bullshit. And option three, I've seen it. God. I've seen this pop up on Netflix recently, and I thought it would be interesting. Is the movie version of the story of the Thai kids stuck in the cave called Thirteen Lives? Is it a series or a movie? I think it's a movie, isn't it? I hope it's a movie. Splish. Okay, that sponge hit me. It's a Netflix movie. The head. Okay, so the three wet sponges, the three wet sponges that Richard threw at me at the village fair. Two of them hit me on the head. Richard wins a rotating flower windmill that he can carry around for the rest of the village fair. Okay, so in terms of choosing which of these wet sponges and most enjoyably <laughs> hit me on the head at the village fair, I have to say it's gonna be oh difficult, but I'm gonna go for Candyman or the remake of Candyman. Is that okay? Horror, yeah, let's do it. Candy Man for next week. Join us and thank you for listening. Paul, tuning in from somewhere with no Wi Fi connection. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually hotspotting on my phone. It's improved it somewhat slightly throughout through the second half of this oh podcast. My God. Apologies for technical difficulties, everybody. We will hopefully no, be with you. It did, it Divide really did. Let me get back home. Uh, Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> Literally, the lag is like eight seconds. Okay. Uh, 
<laughs> Until then, <laughs> goodbye. Apart from that, it has to be ciao for now. Thank you.